So I wonder, have you ever been called upon to be a witness in a trial? Anybody? I've been called uh, for jury duty on a number of occasions, but I've never been called to be a witness for anything in a trial. But you know, you and I are witnesses to all sorts of things. We're witnesses to all sorts of lives. I was reminded of uh, an event that took place uh, back when I was a student at Baylor University because Pastor Craig is walking around passing these bulletins out to you, um, posted a little video or a statement by uh, an assistant athletic director named Walter Abercrombie. Well, I immediately recognized Walter Abercrombie because he was, I believe, a, uh, a running back uh, on the uh, Baylor football team when I was attending there. And the most exciting football game that I ever attended while I was a student was uh, in November of 1982. And uh, Baylor was unranked, which was typical when I was a student there. Uh, Baylor didn't have a very good football reputation. Uh, it, it did as far as recruiting and coaching was concerned. Grant Taft was the coach and they'd recruited a lot of great players and they'd actually won the Cotton Bowl a few years earlier, which uh, interestingly enough, that win was what drew my attention to Baylor University because Grant Taft came and spoke at the church that I was attending at the time. But all that to, to get to this point, Walter Abercrombie, in this uh, statement or this video that Pastor Craig posted, uh, was talking about the first time that he witnessed a black player in 1966, I believe, play for Baylor University. And those of us you know, that have been around for a while can't imagine what this country was like in the 50s and 60s, when if you were a person of color, you weren't allowed to use the same restroom, you weren't allowed to eat at the same restaurant counter, uh, and so Black History Month, I think, is something important for us to pay attention to. But what that brought up to my mind, he was talking about an event that he witnessed. What it brought to my mind was this football game. Now, typically, Baylor students, at least when I attended there, were not terribly enthusiastic. We sat during the entire game. Have any of you ever been to an A&M game? They stand, the, whole, the student body stands the whole game. I mean, it is enthusiasm over the top, man. So you, you may love or hate A&M. This isn't about college football. This is really about helping you to understand what it means to witness something. But that game, we were unranked. That is, Baylor was unranked. And we were playing Arkansas. Arkansas was number five in the nation. We had already lost numerous games that season. In fact, I don't even know if we'd won a game. Maybe we'd won one game. And this was our homecoming. And Walter Abercrombie cut loose and we kept scoring and scoring. It was so exciting, right? So I remember the scoreboard would just come up with the word noise and we would all scream and stand and shake our keys. And, you know, well, that's something, you know, if you've been to another football game, that was normal. At a Baylor game, that was not normal. It was an exciting game and we beat Arkansas. I was a witness to that. And you've been a witness to numerous events. You've been a witness to the lives of important people. Now, by the way, oftentimes we associate important people with celebrities. May I just say this? Celebrities are not really important, they're just famous. Now, there are some important celebrities, some significant celebrities, but Jesus Christ was a real person who walked on planet Earth in the first century, who died on a Roman cross, and who three days later rose from the dead, and there were witnesses. 
And I intend to do a brief series leading up to Easter uh, about those witnesses. And the first witness that I would like to call to testify to you is Simon, otherwise known as Simon Peter. And the reason he's known as Simon Peter is because Jesus changed his name. In fact, the first time Jesus met him, we, we find that in John chapter 1, Jesus said, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Cephas in, in Aramaic, Kepha, right? Which means rock. So today, if Jesus were, were meeting Simon today, he would probably call him the rock. Okay, I know that's a celebrity, but um, or maybe he would call him Rocky, right? You know, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Rock. And, you know, who knows what Peter thought at that point? Uh, Peter's brother Andrew had introduced him to Jesus. Peter's brother Andrew, who was also one of the 12 chosen uh, apostles, uh, was a disciple of John the Baptizer, right? Now, you might have heard him called John the Baptist, but he wasn't a Baptist. He just baptized people. And John the Baptizer pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, John the Baptizer also baptized Jesus, and he was the witness to the reality that Jesus was Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. Jesus had come to take away the sins of the world. Well, as soon as he pointed, that is, John pointed to Jesus walking by and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Andrew and another disciple or two of John the Baptizer's followed Jesus. Well, you know, they saw this happening, and some of John's disciples that stuck uh, back with him said, Hey, man, all these people are following Jesus instead of you. And John said, He must become greater, I must become less. Amen? That's the case with anyone who follows Jesus, and we see that that is going to be the case with Simon Peter. So immediately, Andrew went and got his brother, and he said, hey, look, we have found the one who is called Christ, and he brought Peter to Jesus, and that's when Jesus changed his name. But in all likelihood, Peter didn't start following Jesus right away. He didn't become a disciple right away. What I've just given you is information that you will find in John chapter 1. But I want to read a passage that I love from Luke chapter 5 that talks about the point in time when Simon decided to leave everything that he had and follow Jesus. Here it is. John, uh, John excuse me, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for, the, for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up to the shore and left everything and followed him. And that meant everything. 
But, you know, even though they'd, they'd left their businesses behind and, uh, you know, they chose to put Jesus as the number one priority in their lives, didn't mean that they had left their selves behind, right? So that was the calling of Peter. Let's, let's look at his character qualities and uh, some of his character development. Jesus saw something in Peter that really wasn't necessarily present at that time when he called him the rock. Now, certainly Peter was a very earthy person. He was very much a man's man. Uh, this is a guy who would probably, you know, find himself using some choice words when he got angry at times. And how do I know that? Because uh, when Peter denied Jesus uh, during the crucifixion event, it says that he denied him with an oath and then he denied him with cursing. So Peter was a fisherman and he probably had kind of uh, the mouth of a fisherman as we would think of him. Uh, so he was a very, very earthy person. He wasn't uh, a religious person, but he was somebody who was obviously looking for the coming of Messiah. Because when Andrew said, the one called Christ, we have found him, come and see. Well, he went. So he wasn't a skeptic. Uh, a lot of times we associate very earthy people as being skeptical of spiritual things. He just didn't have any sort of real experience with heavenly things or spiritual things. But you know, I've heard it said, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Do you understand what I just said? Sometimes we think, well, you know, God has called people to preach or to sing or whatever because they're, they're so talented, they're so gifted, uh, because they have these holy character qualities. Peter was not a holy guy, okay? Jesus made him that way. And what I hope you'll do all along the way as I'm talking about Peter is you'll lay Peter down beside you, right? You look at yourself, you look at your life. That's really what I want you to do with all of these witnesses. Um, so Jesus called him the rock. He's, he was earthy. He was this worldly. He appeared solid though, right? And he was definitely a leader. Now, um, there are people who would like to be leaders and they try to lead and they stand up and they talk and so forth, but nobody really follows them. And then there are people who don't even try. Anything and everything they do, people follow them. In a very real sense, I think leaders are born. Now, you can grow in leadership, but leaders are born that way. And leaders are going to lead people down a good path or they're going to lead people down a bad path. And I've seen this my entire life, my entire ministry. There are people that are just natural leaders. And what you hope is that you can bring them into the kingdom of God. They can learn to receive Jesus and, and push away their, their own selfishness and lead people to Christ. But nonetheless, Peter seems to have been one of these natural leaders um, and a leader that Jesus wanted to use for his kingdom. But he was also very impetuous. You know what this word means? Um, he was rash. So he was a bit crude, probably, and he was rash. He, he, he was a guy that it appears had no filter. Do you know people like that? They just say whatever's on their mind and you're like, uh, hey, hey, you need to be a little more politically correct than that, right? I've gotten in trouble for saying whatever's on my mind virtually my whole life. And I've learned to be a little bit more sensitive to people, but Peter wasn't terribly sensitive. He just said whatever was on his mind and he did whatever occurred to him at that moment in time. This is the type of person that he was. Um, 
But he was also very loyal and he was very protective. So when Peter decided to follow Jesus, Jesus became his number one most important person in his life, right? And he was very protective of Jesus and he was very loyal to Jesus. But as you already heard, Peter's loyalty was tested at the end. You know, you may think of yourself as being very committed to Christ, or maybe you're, you're not even there yet. You're not even thinking about that. But some of you here, you may think of yourself as being very committed to Christ. Maybe you think of yourself as being very committed to your children or to your spouse, uh, to your job. But what I have found is there's always a limit to everyone's loyalty. Amen. There really, really is. I have watched people over the years and they may be just, just seem to be incredibly committed to their church or com incredibly committed to Christ or uh, incredibly, incredibly committed to their company. But then when they get brought through certain tests, that loyalty is tested and they start backing away. See, you're going to be tested through your life. Your faith is going to be tested. Your faith in Christ is going to be. I think that this time of the coronavirus has been a test for some people. You know, Barner Research Group said that it is likely that one in five churches will not reopen once this is done. One in five. So, you know, we've, we've you've thought about restaurants and gyms and so forth. But have you thought about churches? You know, and then I, I consider church starts. These are churches that have just started within like the last couple of years. And I remember how difficult it was to start this church. And I, you know, I can imagine how much more difficult it would have been to start this church. The, the coronavirus has been a test for people's loyalty to church, certainly. And I can extend that and say it's been a test to some people's loyalty to Christ. When I listen to some people talk, it appears that they are um, more loyal to their political set or their particular thinking about this than they are to Christ. So I'm not trying to get political or anything like that. I'm just trying to help you to understand that everybody's loyalty gets tested. No matter how loyal you think you are, no matter how committed you think you are, no matter how dedicated you think you are, when it comes down to it, your loyalty gets tested. Now, I don't know how severely that is going to be tested for you in your lifetime uh, if you have a, uh, a commitment to Christ, but it was certainly tested uh, when it concerned Peter. Well, I want to look at another passage, and this is really probably the central passage that will uh, tell us something about Peter. And it is a passage that contains a question that I've asked many people uh, in ministry throughout the years. Um, this is uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Pause. Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but who do people say Jesus is today? Well, this is what they said back then. They replied, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been beheaded, and apparently John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. They probably looked alike. They might have sounded somewhat alike, right? Others say Elijah. Elijah was the prophet that never died. They believed that Elijah would come back before the Messiah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Pause. If you don't get any further with me this morning, that's the question Jesus is asking you. Teenager? Adult? 
That's the question Jesus is asking you. Who do you say I am? Now, who you say Jesus is, if you're honest, expresses where you're at right now. But who you say Jesus is, is not who he is, unless it lines up with who he is. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you right now? What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. Simon Peter was always answering. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Nobody had said that yet. There were hints. There were, there were assumptions. But Jesus was always doing these miracles, these amazing signs, healing people. I mean, he raised people from the dead. He touched lepers and, and healed them. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 people with a, a few loaves and a few fish. These were all signs, and these signs pointed to the reality that Jesus was uniquely the Son of God, and therefore he was God's chosen one, the Messiah. That's what in Hebrew, ha-mashiach, that's what it means, the chosen one. Christ is just the Greek Christos that means the chosen one. Jesus was the unique Son of God, the chosen one, and Peter was willing to confess it right here in the midst of the ministry. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Well, he gave Peter's given name, right? And he recognized who he was by saying he was son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Peter means a stone, really, right? Rock, but not like a, a huge crag. Craig's name means crag, like a huge you know, rock that you could stand on. Peter means like a stone, something you could probably like hold in your hand, really. Okay. So he said, I tell you, you are Peter and upon this rock, and this is the other word that means a huge crag, something you could stand on. I will build my church and the gates of Hades. You might have read in the King James, the gates of hell, but this is the actual Greek word, Hades. And this is the Greek concept of the uh, the Hebrew idea of the realm of the dead or Sheol. So this isn't hell as in uh, the lake of fire, the final dis disposition of those that reject Christ. This is where people go now who are separated from Christ, right? And he says, the, gate of, the gates of Hades, the gates of death, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. It's so strange that he didn't want them to tell anyone. See, he didn't want people to believe in him because other people told them to believe. He wanted people to believe in him because they saw who he was from what he did and from what he taught. And after he rose from the dead, these witnesses that we're talking about went and testified. And then people chose to believe or not. And you're still here sitting this morning and you have that same opportunity. Now, you heard uh, an indication of what I'm about to read in the video. See, Peter probably felt pretty significant at this point. He was the one that was willing to stand up and say, yeah, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, heaven and earth, uh, nothing earthly revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then he really laid a lot of leadership on Peter, all right? You're Peter, and on this rock, what rock? The confession of faith he had just made. I will build my entire church. Wow. But see, then Jesus starts getting real with his disciples and telling them, 
I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. Listen to this in verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Get this. This is saucy on Peter's part. Peter took him aside. Peter, a man, took the Son of God aside. To comfort him? To ask him a question? No, to rebuke him. Listen to this. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, does that mean that Jesus thought Peter was Satan? No, Satan, coming from Hebrew once again, means opponent or adversary. You see, Peter at that point in time was setting himself up as an opponent to the primary purpose of Jesus on earth, which was to be the propitiation for our sins, to go to the cross. You see, Jesus could have done all these wonderful things, healed people, raised the dead, taught, incredible things. But if he did not die on the cross and raise from the, rise from the dead, then you and I would still be in our sins. In fact, there would be no church today. I wouldn't be standing here, that's for certain. Um, we probably really wouldn't care much about Jesus except, you know, reading that there was a guy 2,000 years ago that, uh, you know, died on a Roman cross and that's that. But the scripture says, uh, this is Romans chapter 4, I believe verse 25, says he died for our sins and he was raised for our justification. Jesus came to earth to die to put away your sin and my sin, to put away your selfishness and my selfishness. And then he rose so that death would be overcome and you and I could be made right with God. So this was difficult for Jesus. He didn't just sail through it. In fact, we find that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is weeping and literally sweating drops of blood and calling out to his father and saying, Father, Father, if there is any other way that this cup can pass for me, let it be done. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus wasn't some masochist. He didn't enjoy pain. He really didn't want to die on a Roman cross, but he was willing to do the will of God because that is what was necessary for my sin and your sin to be taken away. That, that explains uh, Jesus' uh, reaction to Peter here, right? And then he says something that I think is very important and tells us a lot about Peter's character. And I wonder if you would identify with this. You are a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Hmm. How about you, friend? Are you more interested in building your home, your kingdom, or the kingdom of God? Are you a spiritual person? Now that's become this sort of emotional idea, right? Oh, no, I'm spiritual. I don't go to church. I'm just spiritual, okay? No, what I'm talking about is, is your preoccupation God's will and God's kingdom? Or is your preoccupation your will, your job, and your kingdom? You see, Peter had lined everything up with Jesus. He'd given away his business. And he followed Jesus, but he was still this worldly. In fact, really all of the disciples were. They were this worldly. Their focus was on this world. They thought Jesus had come at that point in time to set up a physical kingdom on earth to overthrow the Roman Empire. 
That was their concept of Messiah. Now, to this day, that is the concept of many Orthodox Jews, that the Messiah will return to set up a physical kingdom on earth. Many who read Revelation uh, believe that Jesus will return. Actually, Jesus was clear that he would return, but what I'm about to say lines up with what I have just said, that Jesus will return and set up a physical kingdom on earth for a thousand years, the so-called millennium. So we're not too far apart. It's just we believe that Jesus is the Messiah who first came to take away sin and then will return to set up the kingdom. But they believed, and as I said, Orthodox Jews today believe, that the Messiah is going to come to earth and set up a physical kingdom on earth now. Very this-worldly, not an understanding of the kingdom of God as something that is not a place. So, all right, I did watch a movie last night. Um, I went back and rewatched Thor Ragnarok. And here's a phrase that was said over and over in the movie. Asgard is not a place, it's a people. Well, see what had to happen in this Thor myth, whether that this goes back to actual Norse mythology or not, I have no idea. But in the comic book version, or in the movie version of the comic book version, Asgard, the planet, the place, had to be destroyed to destroy death and to destroy evil. That was the only way to defeat evil. And the concern, of course, from Thor, who's now the king, his father Odin has passed away, is that this will be the end of Asgard, therefore the end of Asgardians. No, not the case, because Asgard is a people not a place. Where do you think they got an idea like that? In Luke, Jesus says to his disciples, the kingdom of God is not visible to your eye. The kingdom of God is within you. Okay, well, that's confusing. Some people think, okay, well, that means that, you know, the kingdom of God is in my heart. No, you is plural there. That means the kingdom of God is within y'all. So you would actually more accurately say the kingdom of God is among y'all. You know what that means? The kingdom of God is not a place. It's a people. And when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, as Peter did, you may faultingly, failingly follow him as Peter did, but still discover that God qualifies the called and he will bring you up and bring you in. All you've got to do is get up and continue to surrender and continue to submit to him. And that's exactly what Peter did in his life, right? So Peter was this worldly, but that's at this point in time. You see, one of the things the crucifixion did, in addition to taking away our sins, is created a separation between us and this world, right? Or more accurately, between self, between I, or me and this world. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, and no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live on in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, if you're a real Christian, and not just a pretender, and not just a professor, 
then you have allowed the crucified, resurrected Son of God to enter the central part of your life, your heart, and create this separation between you and the world, and to recreate a new you on the inside. That had to happen with Peter. Well, there was a crisis of faith with Peter, and I'm going to be very quick with these last couple of points. Um, he swore in all four Gospels that he would never deny Jesus. And yet we know that Peter denied Jesus three times, as I said early on in this message, once with an oath and with cursing. You see, his loyalty was tested and he denied Jesus because Peter was willing to fight for Jesus. In fact, I think Peter would probably have been willing to die fighting for Jesus, but he wasn't willing to die by following Jesus to a Roman cross. Peter was the one, remember, that drew his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and cut off Malchus's ear, who was Malchus, the, the servant of the high priest. And there's another video, and I may play it uh, closer to Easter. It's another Peter video. <laughs> and he said, yeah, and I cut off that guy's ear. And he goes, and I wasn't aiming for his ear, right? He wasn't like, hey, I'm going to surgically remove your ear here. No, man, he was aiming for that guy's head. He was going to cut, cut his head off. He's like, don't you mess with my master. But then Jesus didn't rebuke the, the, the soldiers. He didn't rebuke the security guards from the temple that had come to take him. He rebuked Peter again. He said, put your sword away. And then he said something that you and I need to remember. He said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Well, you and I don't carry swords, but if you live by the gun, you'll die by the gun. If you live by violence, you'll die by violence. Oh, you don't like that, do you? We're a violent people. That's why we like all these movies that have so much killing and blood and so forth in it. We're a violent people. And Jesus said, no, it's not going to be that way. So Peter ran off. All the rest of them ran off. But Peter kind of followed at a distance. And John, we'll talk about John next week, led him into the court of the high priest. And Peter had a chance to watch part of the trial, this mock trial that went on where Jesus was condemned by the Sanhedrin. And uh, sure enough, the rooster crowed. And one of the Gospels said Jesus looked at Peter at that point in time, and Peter ran off weeping. He denied Jesus. But you know, he didn't cease to believe in Jesus even at that point. But his loyalty was completely tested. Trust me, your faith is going to be tested. And as I said, this coronavirus and all of the stuff that's been going on may have already done that. But God is not giving up on you. Amen? The scripture says, and again in Romans, this is Romans chapter 11, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. The call continues to go out to you. Amen. The question is not whether the call is continuing to go out, but have you become deaf? Has your heart become too hard to receive that call? Well, Peter got to the breaking point. He certainly did. Then Jesus rose from the dead, and the first person to witness that was Mary Magdalene, and we're going to probably talk about her in a couple of weeks. And Mary Magdalene ran back and told the disciples, and they didn't believe her. They had to see for themselves. So Peter and John ran to the tomb, and you find this in John chapter 20. They ran to the tomb. John was younger and apparently fleeter of foot, and he ran on ahead. They got to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. John stood there amazed. But Peter, being who he was, 
the impulsive, impetuous Peter just stormed into the tomb. Irreverent, really. And what did he see? He saw the burial cloths just laying there. And the way the language in the Greek means that they were laying there as though something had been in them, but had just dissolved through them. In other words, they weren't all unwrapped, like somebody came in there and unwrapped a dead body and left a bunch of cloths laying around. They were just laying there flat. But here's the amazing thing, such an amazing detail. It says the face cloth was folded and laying to the side. And to me, that had to have been that, that climax of faith, or at least the opportunity for it for Peter, because he went out astonished. Because he'd heard Jesus say all of these things, but they just didn't get it. Now, we don't have a firsthand account of this, but we have a number of occasions where the scripture says that Jesus appeared to Simon personally. And certainly, he became what Jesus had called him to become, and that is the number one apostle, the lead apostle. It's a powerful thing, but it's because he didn't let go. Now, I don't know if I'll have time in this time between now and Lent, I may compare Peter and Judas, because Judas might not be as horrible a person as you think he is. What Judas did is he gave in to his greed, and his ambition, and he gave up on Jesus. Peter denied Jesus because his loyalty was tested to the breaking point. But that crucifixion and that resurrection separated Peter from his old self. And Peter was reborn and renewed. And Peter preaches the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. I would invite you to take a look at that for yourself. So, how about you? Do you identify with this character, Peter? With this person, Peter? Simon? It's, it's amazing and it's awesome that we continue to call him Peter, the rock. We recognize him for what Jesus saw in him, not for what he was in the natural, even though he couldn't see that. You see, Jesus sees something in you too. Maybe he has a new name for you, maybe not, but he sees something in you that not even you are able to see. Amen. But the only way you're going to be able to see that is to approach Jesus by faith and to pay attention to that call that he has for you because his call goes out to everyone. And if we are willing, that call will bring us into the kingdom of God, which again, is not a place, but a people that will eventually have its own place. Let's pray together. And uh, then we're gonna have a, another song of worship and we're gonna do a baby dedication. We're excited about that. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into the life of this, uh, this person that you chose, Jesus, to lead the disciples and to lead us down to this day. I thank you for Peter. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the transparency of presenting him as a human character and uh, not some fake superhero, not some fraud, not some saint that has been uh, washed over but we see his flaws and we see that you made him strong and that encourages us because that means that you can do the same for each one of us. And Father, if there's anyone listening to me right now, if there's anyone in this room or on the internet that has not yet put their trust in your son, Jesus, then I pray they would do that right now. 
Now, if you're listening to me right now, I would invite you to open your heart and open your mind and talk to God. Say something like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. Right now, I open my heart. Today, I invite you to take control of me. Be my Savior. Be my King. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.